Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Source of Truth. Today, we have a super, super exciting episode because we have my friend Fee on. Fee Dang is a highly sought after human design life coach, author of The Great Unlearning, host of the Grow Through It podcast, and is affectionately known as the positivity queen in her community. She helps women and men all over the world to break free from what is holding them back to live their best life through her soul revolution framework, consisting of mindset, self-love, energy, and purpose. Fee is known for her down-to-earth approach, practical expert guidance, and soulful intuitive insights. Welcome to the show, Fee. Hi, my love. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here too. You have such great energy. Thanks. <laughs> so you just released your first book. Congrats. That's insane. Oh, so surreal. I can't believe it. I feel like I'm floating on cloud nine. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you tell us about your background and how that led to what you do now as an author and a human design life coach and so much more? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's crazy to think that I think my journey started three years ago and it was kind of during the pandemic. I had always been passionate about mental health and I never had time to do something about it. So when the pandemic came, I finally started this anonymous Instagram account all about mental health. And within three months, it you know blew up organically. I had over 10,000 followers and I guess people were coming up to me and being like, hey, like, would you coach me? So I guess in a funny way, I became a life coach on demand and it was my side hustle for about nine months whilst I worked in brand strategy in the corporate world. And here we are now like doing it full time. You know, um, it's absolutely surreal because I remember when I did go full time, I got the book deal not long after that. And so I guess that's like a very quick way of how I became who I am today, but um, very much had a lot of different life influences that have kind of sparked my passion for mental health, whether it was, you know, burning out in the corporate world and feeling a lot of pressure and stress. You know, when I just turned 20 years old, my dad died. So that was like such a huge uh, pivotal change for me. And so it really put me on this path. Like, I think if you asked me a couple of years ago, if I ever thought I would have my own business and be a life coach, I would be like, no. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy. Oh my gosh, that's so much to unpack. And I want to unpack from there. So you mentioned that you were actually working in a corporate job for about nine months balancing your business and also what you do mm -hmm. in your corporate job. So what was that like? And why did you decide to balance that at the beginning? Yeah, well, I guess to give you context, obviously, I love human design. So I'm a 2-4 manifesting generator. And I have all those channels that are like a lot of energy. And so for me, it's not, you know, as a manifesting generator, it's very much about multitasking. And for me, it was just so um, wild to introduce it, because it actually gave me so much more passion and energy. Like, I remember my boss being like, wow, like, you've had a killer year. Like, I think I was like making like, over $5 million revenue for the company. He's like, you know, what's going on? And um, actually I did hide my side hustle for a long time and it ended up coming out because it was um, organically like my posts were going everywhere so I guess it was a huge compliment and I would say like the balance of the side hustle it was a lot of work you know I did wake up early like I remember I wake up at 5am here in Australia I would like go to the beach go for a swim then I would coach clients until 8 30 
I'd work, work my corporate job until 6.30 and then I would coach until 9 p.m. And I did that for a long time and I won't glamorize it. I think you really have to love what you do. And I think that's something that I realized, like I wanted to be a life coach forever. I was in it for the long haul. I wasn't in it for the money or the status or anything like that. And, you know, as I reflect, obviously, you know, I didn't have as much time for my friends. I know it definitely took a toll on the relationship that I was previously in as well. And so, yeah, it was definitely a balancing act, but I look back now and I'm so happy and grateful I did it because I truly live the life of my dreams. I have so much time now. And I guess for me, like that nine months of hard, working really hard has really paid off for me. And I think I'm coming up to two years full-time in my business, like wild. Oh my gosh, life of your dreams. I know because you are definitely the epitome of beach business fun life like there's so much <laughs> juiciness I want to talk about you mentioned some life influences that led you to want to explore this and this is really I feel like your sole purpose or at least one of your sole purposes so you mentioned your dad passing away in your 20s yeah. um would you want to share with the audience that. Yeah. I mean, I think growing up, I was obviously a daddy's girl. And to give you context, like I was very shielded by negativity and death growing up. And I think when we're younger, we think we're invincible. We think we have so much time in the world. And so when I found out that my dad was sick, that was a big shake up to my core. It really, I guess, messed with my identity. And when he did pass away, that really did change my life forever because I became more open to the world. I, I wasn't like closed off as I used to be. And you know, I wanted to do all these things like travel and have new experiences. And so I guess when he died, when I just turned 20, it was a shock to the system. I think growing up Asian Australian, like you don't really talk about your feelings. You're not really meant to show your emotions. So I went through a lot of depression, anxiety. I was even suicidal at one point. And that was really hard for me because I also became numb. And it's so different to, you know, understanding my human design. I'm an emotional authority. Like I'm built to be emotional so that was quite a roller coaster. And I remember I got pretty sick and down and I couldn't, like it got to the point where I couldn't sleep. I was just very like, I had um, post-traumatic like stress disorder. Like it, the, the grief of my dad passing away hit me later. And so then I had to kind of put my life on hold and I ended up, you know, kind of taking a year off university where I was doing like a double degree in law and commerce and ended up like traveling the world. And then when I came back, I realized that I didn't want to, pursue this traditional path what I thought would be happy and so yeah it really did force me to have like my spiritual awakening and kind of grow up very quickly in this world and I guess it's kind of a nice full circle because my dad was actually an English teacher in Vietnam and I remember when I was a little girl my dad used to like read stories to me all the time he taught me how to write and so yeah I wrote my book in honor of him and I guess it's a yeah it's a nice loop like I never thought I would be an author and yeah here we are. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. And I love how you mentioned that you wrote your book in honor of him. And I want to get to that. But going back, what was your relationship like with your dad when you were growing up? And what was like one really, really amazing memory that you had with him? Oh, I feel like I always think about camping. My dad and I, like, I remember he would just like drive me to places to go to the beach or really encourage me to spend time outdoors. And I guess my dad was a very stereotypical Asian dad. You know, he always provided for me, like I had somewhere to live, you know, I had food on the table and everything like that. But 
you know, I remember deeply like writing in the book that my dad wasn't as emotional. You know, I think one of the biggest things that hit me was like, I never saw my dad cry until he was like dying and he was like chatting to me in one of our final conversations. So I think that really influenced me, but it's funny because I have a really strong relationship with him now that he's on the other side and becoming intuitive and he is so loving and gracious. So it's, it's, I think it's really cool to see that your soul's development doesn't stop when you're a human. Like me seeing him evolve as a soul on the other side as one of my biggest protectors and spirit guides. Like it's incredible and hearing the messages that he has to share with me and reflecting on his life. So I'm very deeply grateful. You know, I think, I think, you know, and, and especially as a girl, like, you know, your dad kind of forms your first template of somebody that gives you unconditional love and what you aspire to. So I'm very, very grateful for this time I had with him. That is so beautiful, especially how you mentioned that your relationship continues to this day and it's grown so much more because that's something that's very different from what most people think. They think that it ends at the physical body. So conversations with your dad, how do they look like now? Yeah, I mean, he's a very big presence. Like I can always kind of feel him around me, like his hands on my shoulder, but it's very much intuitively like messages dropping into me, um, my mind, I guess, I, and I can hear him. And there's just a lot of signs and synchronicities, like his name on number plates and things like that. So I can always kind of feel him around and I always know that I can call upon him and he's always there. So um, it's not something... I ever thought I would kind of go into but I guess when you kind of have a spiritual awakening you open your mind up like I think it's very much like the more you start to be open to this world and the more you start to believe it you actually see it coming into your life like I remember like the apartment I live in like I like when I came to view the apartment the car outside has his name on the number plate and I was like oh you just can't make this stuff up and like you know, I often like now I drive around, I see his name on number plates. I, you know, he, I see him as butterflies and frogs. So very much a strong presence in my life. Oh my gosh. I love how you mentioned that. Like, it's like not just the number plates, but also comes up as like frogs and so forth. Can you talk a bit more about your spiritual awakening? Because you said this also played a part in it. And also you mentioned that when it happened, you had struggled with some mental health and how that also led to the spiritual awakening. Yeah. I mean, I think I was very much on this path. Like I thought I was going to be this lawyer and I was going to have a family and all of these timelines that I had to do. And so when something kind of like abrupts your life and you're like, oh, like I wasn't expecting that. I think you're forced to view the world in a different way. And don't get me wrong. Like when he first passed, like I very much brushed it off. Like I I was just so busy. Like I couldn't believe I was doing a double degree. I was working four days a week. I was tutoring on the side. I was part of like three university um, student bodies. And I was like, I look back and like, I, I was clearly running away from my emotions. And it's funny because when I was there, like just before my dad passed, I had a mini spiritual awakening where I was getting more into it. And, you know, I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And I was like, yeah, like I know consciousness, but looking back, I really didn't. And I think people have this misconception that, you know, your spiritual awakening is like you start to do meditation and yoga, but really my spiritual awakening was going through life and a lot of struggles. You know, my, one of my main human design energies is struggle. And so I guess now looking back as a life coach, I understand why everything had to happen. And so that was very much a big thing, like learning to tune into my emotions and understanding like this concept of people on the other side. And I think also 
you know, when I look back, I always thought people that were intuitive and psychic were kind of born with that at a young age. But really, this gift only kind of started coming to me two or three years ago. And it's kind of like starting more to unfold. And that very much came from a culmination of like meditating, doing a lot of inner work, you know, shadow work, working on myself. And I really had this kind of like, also another misconception is you only have like one dark night of the soul. I've had multiple dark nights of the souls and I've had multiple spiritual awakenings with the most recent one being on a retreat. I was doing some breath work and that's when my gifts really opened up because I saw myself as a witch getting burnt at the stake. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is a past life. And, you know, my dad was kind of always spiritual. So he kind of mentioned stuff like that to me, but I kind of kind of thought he was going crazy because of the cancer. And I was like, mm, I don't think my dad's in the right mind. So again, it's like a full circle because he was right. Like you can see your past lives through meditation and things like that. Mm, wow, that's so much to go through and also that you also really took what they say like when life gives you lemons you make lemonade I feel like you are such a healer because you've gone through it and now you can inspire and use your positivity and you are so much about positivity for everyone so can you talk about your book Great Unlearning yeah yeah, so it's The Great Unlearning, which is about um, awakening to living an aligned and authentic life. And I really wrote this as a book to spark an awakened revolution, like this invitation and initiation your soul has been craving. And I really wanted to flip the narrative and concepts of self-help and personal development on its head, doing something different with actionable steps. And I think that when I was coaching people and through my own journey, it's not that we have a lot more to learn. We actually have a lot to unbecome and unlearn from our past to be our best self. So the book is all about, you know, breaking through your limiting beliefs and your patterns, really kind of rising beyond the edges of your perceived blocks and fears. And very much that mantra of transforming your struggles into strength, your wounds into wisdom and your grief into gold. And it's very much a personal book for me. I share a lot. I feel quite vulnerable. It kind of feels like people are reading my journal. Um, but I, I was so passionate about sharing the realness of life. You know, even my mum was saying, hey, like when you write this book, people only want to hear the good stories. And I'm like, no, I want to put everything in there. So I wanted to talk about the things that people don't want to talk about, whether that is mental health, sex, suicide, masturbation, um, family patterns and struggles, like my love life. So I put it all on the table and really bared my heart and soul in this book. Oh my gosh, you are like the epitome of like, what I love, I love seeing people, especially in the Asian community, really talk about these controversial subjects in society because we don't see that as much. And mm. did you find that you you kind of are like basically a trailblazer to speak out about these different topics Thank like you. sex, you know? Yeah, trauma and so forth. Like Brene Brown also, she does so much on vulnerability. Like how did you get the strength? Like did you have inspiration? to Cheryl that be that trailblazer oh gosh I think it was me thinking of what I wanted to see and, and I agree like because in Asian culture we have like a face right and I remember being mortified because your family's like don't talk about your problems it reflects badly on your family like don't talk about the secrets and for me it was very daunting to do that but I remember my intention with everything especially as a life coach is I want to help people I want people to read the story and be like I can relate to that and I really resonate with that and I think uh, it does tie back to my dad because the last thing my dad ever said to me was be brave. And I didn't understand that at the time. I thought being brave was like courageous, like jumping out of the 
sky I don't know like that kind of like adrenaline rush being brave but I, I realize as I kind of go on with time that being brave is being truly authentic to yourself and being a part of this world and trying to help people and I think for me it was step by step like I still remember like when I did my first podcast or I first posted I was like mortified like even when I quit my corporate job I was scared so I'm very much the believer like I can be scared but do it anyway. And so that's how I felt with the vulnerability. Like, honestly, even leading up to the book coming out, I was so anxious. I didn't know how, you know, I would take it, how people would take it. But now it's out there. I'm like, I'm just so proud of that. And I think vulnerability, sensitivity is truly a superpower. The two things growing up Asian, I thought were the worst traits possible, I realize are my greatest strengths now. You sum it up so well, that vulnerability and sensitivity. It is so damn fucking scary. But once you can own that, you feel invincible. Yeah. And I think we all have these amazing stories to share. We don't know. And like, you know, I always tell people that kind of want to be out there on a platform or doing some sort of work, like for every, there's going to be people that message you and they tell you how great you are, but there's also going to be these people that never say a word to you, but you could have changed their life just by sharing one thing. And I think that's what I'm so committed to, because I remember when I first started my Instagram account, like. I had like two likes. I had like no followers, right? And I think I really kind of broke through into the scene and being a trailblazer, as you said, because I didn't wait for permission for someone to tell me like, hey, you can be a leader now in this space. Like I really decided to step into that space. You know, I talked about um, the post that went viral was about men's mental health. And at the time in Australia, globally, no one was talking about men's mental health. And I was like, here I am, this like little Asian girl, like who am I to say anything about men's mental health? And I did it. And that really catapulted me into life coaching and the industry that we are in now. And what kind of post was it? It was about men's mental health. And it was kind of saying like, you know, men also cry, men also feel weak, you know, and kind of saying like men also have feelings and giving that permission and raising the awareness that men have quite high suicidal rates more than women. And there's a lot of vernacular and people saying back and forth for what it is. But I think in terms of mental health and I think in terms of, social and cultural conditioning I think it's not as common or open for men to just kind of have a chat with their friends you know I think that's very common for women but I think in my own experience and having dated men with mental health um, struggles really being passionate about that and you know my first coaching clients were men and I still do coach men so I think that's really important and yeah I look back and I'm like that moment of bravery and vulnerability has completely changed my life. That's incredible. And especially coming from a different perspective and drawing light that men also face a lot and they have a lot of pressure. And yeah, that was an amazing way for you to really start your career, you said, right? Yeah, yeah, I really Mm. did. I I think, yeah, I, I mean, I'm honestly speechless because it's just, I think it's just so crazy in a world we live in that we can build a business online through your phone and your laptop. Like I don't Mm -hmm. take that for granted. And I think I'm very, very grateful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that one viral post, it was like a post on Instagram. You just posted and it just took off. Yeah. It just took off. Like, honestly, overnight I had like 10,000 followers and it it was just so surreal. And, 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 and with that came a lot of pressure as well, because I wasn't just getting nice support. I was also getting a lot of trolls um, and I remember I would like stay up at night and my ex-partner would be like, you need to stop reading these messages because people would be like, that's not true. And like, kind of like, who are you to say things about that? So I think obviously as my audience and influence has grown, I've had to get 
thicker skin. Like even recently when I have reels that go viral and people will come for me because they're like, you know, you don't know the full picture and all of this stuff and victimhood and all of these things. So I think that's part of the work that we do. Like I remember like the good and the intention that of course some people are going to be triggered and that's okay. I send them a lot of love in wherever they're at in their journey. Yeah. And you mentioned a very, very good point that when you have such a good intention, you put something out that you get some backlash because there's something called the fear of being seen. And it's huge, especially mm-hmm. in, I would say, like Asian people, people of color, anyone that had this mentality that you should stay quiet. And whenever you do show up and then you get the backlash, some actually shrink and then like, they like jump off the face of the internet. So what do you do in those moments when it's like really scary, but you want to continue? Like, do you have tools or like coaches yourself to guide you through that? Yeah. I mean, I obviously have my own mentorship. I mean, I believe in the coaching industry. So I have my own coaches that I work with. I think really protecting my energy and being grounded um, is super important as well, like energetic hygiene and you know, for example, like I only really use my phone, not in my bedroom. I don't want to be kind of taking that energy into my bedroom. And I guess it always comes back to like, what was my intention? And I think I can't control how people react to what I do. And I just think about the people every day when I get messages or people that I've coached that I've changed their life. And I'm like, I'm not going to let this one comment stop me. And I remember that feeling of fear of being seen. And I, you know, I always think to myself, like, there's a reason why people are scared of our voices as women as well, because it's so fucking powerful. Like we've got to share our message and share our truth. And that's what I'm really about. And like, again, it's like not letting that get to you because in a way also when you get backlash, it's like you're standing up for something and you're, you're putting something out there. And I think that's really important. And people may not agree with me, but maybe they can respect the fact that I'm willing to share my perspective with my community and audience. Yeah, I love that. Women especially. And this is like the perfect time to share a message, especially with online. I want to go back to the book. You mentioned like such great topics for our listeners. Can you share one story that you had relating to a controversial subject? Let's bring up sex. <laughs> is there <laughs> is there one one story you can share that you wrote in the book? That... Well, look, I, I really love that you brought that up because you know, my mom is one of my biggest supporters and she bought like 10 copies of the book for her friends and some of them are churchgoers. So I was raised Catholic growing up, by the way. I'm obviously now, I identify spiritual. And so I was just telling her like, hey, like when you give the books to your friends, just letting you know, like this covers all parts of my life, right, mom? She goes, yes. And she's, and I'm like, she's like, does that include sex? And I go, yes. And she goes like vanilla sex or you know, other types. And I was like, mom, what do you think? And she's like, okay. And she's like, sex with one man only or more than one man? And I'm like, well, mom, what do you think? And she was like, okay. And, you know, we've had our, you know, I think in one of the stories that I share, obviously when my first part, my first boyfriend cheated on me. That really hit my self-esteem. He was my high school sweetheart. So obviously after that, I was trying to recruit my self-esteem. I was having fun. I was experimenting, you know, I wasn't coming home. And I think, my mom started to catch on. And one time she actually called me like a prostitute or a whore in Vietnamese. And that really upset me. And it was very confusing because you're growing up in a Western society where sex is more liberal and free. Then you've got conservative Vietnam. And eventually my mom apologized to me and we had a really great discussion about it. But she was kind of saying, in a way, she realized she was jealous of me because 
her growing up in Vietnam, if you kind of even dated more than more than one man, you were considered a whore, you know, let alone think about wearing a skirt above your knees. And so we had a really beautiful conversation about that. But I think in Asian culture, like your parents don't even really talk about sex, right? So in this book, I'm talking about, you know, all these different types of sex that I've had, multiple partners and that freedom. And I think, again, that comes with labels as slut and all of this stuff. And I even talk about self-pleasure and masturbation. So there's a lot of things going on that I think is very controversial to my culture, even for women to open, like, you know, talking about having like a yoni massage and giving myself my own orgasm and very much taking self-pleasure into my own hands and not relying on a partner, you know, having been single for a year since I had a breakup. So yeah, lots of juicy bits in that book. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like this is literally the book that all Asian women need to read then. And yeah, really, and I really hope get they power. do. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, I think so. And I think especially for women, like Asian women, they think we're like these really like meek, docile, submissive women. And I like, even in the book, like I talk about this experience with like a friends with benefits of mine where I'm like on top of him and like I'm being the dominant one and I'm taking control. And I think- People, like even my corporate company, they really underestimated me. Like they thought this was like this cute little like side hustle, like she's not going anywhere. And like, I still remember the day, like, cause after I went full time, I hit six figures in my business shortly after. And I remember my old boss was like, what? And you've got a book deal. And he's like, this is crazy. I never, like, I didn't expect this from you. And I think we get so underestimated. And I think because I am friendly and I would say I am soft and sensitive. People think that's weak, but I'm like, the feminine is so fierce and strong. Like, don't like the reason I can be so soft is because I'm compassionate and understanding, but I don't let people fuck with me either, you know? No, as you mentioned all that, I get like, I remember that you're a Scorpio and a Scorpio woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think you embody it so well. You're really like pushing the boundaries and we need more women like you. I want to talk about your mom because you brought up how you were your mom's like such a great supporter of you and also you guys were able to talk about sex and so forth so can you tell us more about your relationship with your mom and how that evolved over the years oh my gosh it's so it's been up and down completely the whole time I would say only recently we really reconnected and bonded because the book was so healing because it let me open up conversations with my family and my mom and we've always had a tumultuous relationship in the sense that I always loved my dad more and even when my dad died, I put my dad on a pedestal and I kind of like, I don't know, I was really harsh on my mom. And I think, um, you know, I talk about in the book, I think I was really harsh on my mom. I judged her a lot, um, especially with money. It's one of the biggest chapters in my book and it was very triggering her money mindset. And it's like funny because again, she's very like free and open. Like she doesn't really attach to money. Like she's always said to me, like money comes and goes like water. And that was really triggering for the inner masculine for me and the conditioning, like, oh, no, 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 like I need money in this scarcity. And it's like funny again, another full circle moment being like, oh, all along I wanted the same money mindset that she has. But I think, yeah, it's it's been hard. Like, and again, because growing up, I wasn't super close to my mom. I've never, been, I've, I've been quite independent my whole life. Like I really considered my friends, my closest family. And now that me and my mom can open up more, like I remember at my book launch seeing how proud she was. Like she was wearing a shirt with like my book on it and she was crying. And I was like, this is so incredible for a woman like her. She literally left and fled everything behind for a better life in Australia, fled the war in Vietnam. And, you know, coming from such poverty, when her and my dad came to Australia, they lived in a house with my family. There's like 12 people in a two bedroom house. They had nothing. You know, my mom was a cleaner growing up and, 
like now to be able to you know help her retire early and pay for that as well as like her seeing the life like I have like I have this book I have my own business I live by the beach like she's just like I can imagine how healing that is for her and my lineage of the women that have come before me and it's one of the greatest things I have done in this life oh my gosh that really warms my heart because also similar like I I definitely understand that some of our audiences they may have had a tumultuous relationship with one of their parents and especially the mother figure and having gone through your own healing and being able to change the direction of your relationship with your parent is so insane so what's it like now like how often do you hang out with your mom or like what kind of conversations yeah, do you have I'm, now? I'm very blessed now that I have my own business like we can see each other weekly like she came over recently and we had pancakes on the weekend we're going to like this half day um calligraphy spa day and that was really nice for us to be able to do together and I think uh because I've done my own inner work because I used to get so triggered by my mom and I would kind of put it on her the blame and I realized it was actually me like she was a mirror because my mom you have to understand she's the most eccentric I don't give a fuck woman ever like my mom growing up like she would wear oh like fluoro adidas tracksuit pants like leopard hat like just outrageous you know and she just didn't give a fuck and it, I'd go out and I'd be like oh my god you're like embarrassing me and I remember one day she just turned around and she's like I don't care what you think I fled a war I only care that the fact that I'm alive I'm breathing I'm happy I'm great like I have food to eat I don't care what you think or anybody else in the shopping center thinks and I was like oh I got shut down so hard rightly so and you know, as I, and it's like so funny because all along I thought I never want to be like my mom, but actually now I want to be more like her because she's so free and, you know, so different and unconventional. And I think I had to really do a lot of shadow work to understand that it wasn't about my mom. It was about me and also healing a lot of the relationship. So my mom, I also considered quite overbearing. I'm an only child. And, you know, when I come over, she's like, oh, you're not wearing socks and like this and that. And I'm like, mom, I fucking run a business like why are you worrying about me so much but I realized like she wasn't so close with her mom and her mom maybe perhaps didn't care for her as much as she does for me and so again like understanding that and it's funny also because her mom is one of my strongest spirit guides but her and her mom don't get along but actually her mom really helps me out so it's like again all of this like interwoving of your soul and your family ancestry because I, I truly believe our souls choose our family for a reason and you know, for example, I think my soul chose a family that had a lot of like fears about opening up and emotions. What have I done? I've become a book. Like I've read, a, I've created, a, I've written a book. I'm an author that talks about it all. We came from a poverty scarcity and now I'm like so abundant and rich. Like it's just rewriting all of these like family traumas and patterns. Oh my gosh. I love that so much because you mentioned that people are our biggest mirrors, especially like our moms and how you can overcome some of like the criticism that we can get as children is through compassion and looking through her story and maybe her relationship with her mom and I'm actually curious what is your mom's like zodiac sign or human design how does that work with you because usually they're like they conflict for a reason right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, I haven't like actually looked at her human design I try not to with the people in my life just because it's I saw this meme and it's like send nudes or send me your like your birth chart details because when I do readings I feel like I really know someone like even especially dating now I'm like I do not look up their astrology or human design charts because it may influence what I think but I do remember my mom is a Virgo 
So I think that's like, aren't they more like, I mean, I'm more of an expert in human design, but I know Virgos are more um, meticulous, like perfectionism type of um, role. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Because I'm, I'm very Scorpio. I think everybody should know I have it like six, seven times throughout my chart. I have a lot of water energy, Pisces as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can definitely see all the beautiful scorpion and also Pis Piscean energy. Your mom being a Virgo, and I can also see that because I'm a Virgo rising, so I can see that. Oh. But yeah. Um, okay, so I want to bring it back to your book. Now let's go through the process of writing your book because I'm sure that was a whole journey in itself. Mm. How did you land your book deal? And were you looking for a book deal? Did you manifest it? Um, it was twofold because I guess obviously I talked about my dad was a big influence and I'd always loved writing. Like it was my best subject at school. Everybody knows I loved literature. And I think deep down, I always wanted to write a book, but I never thought, you know, being in the corporate career, like what, am I going to write a book or brand strategy, like marketing? And it actually downloaded into me um, while I was still at my corporate job. And so I sought out a book mentor, like a lady that I'd met in like circles, like, um, one of my like a teacher that I used to go to her like weekly meetups and she had written a book so I hired her as a book mentor and so usually like when you write a book you're supposed to write the whole manuscript and then you sell it to somebody but I was kind of like I need to test the waters I want to write a book proposal before I actually write the book so I wrote the proposal this whole idea about unlearning and I I kind of like just stopped because like my work got so busy so I literally had the idea I dropped out of my mentoring and I never spoke about it again couple of months later my book mentor comes back and she's like hey I don't usually chase people but she's like I truly think you're super talented like you need to finish writing this book proposal write a few chapters and submit it and I was like oh I don't know about time I'm really busy and then obviously I ended up leaving my corporate job and I had a lot of time and space and she circles back and she's like again I don't usually do this but I want you to put you forward to my own publisher so I give the book proposal to the book publisher and I, I, here I am thinking like, I'm amazing. Like, yep, yep, yep. And she goes, mm, no, I just don't know if I can like sell this book. I don't know how, if it has global appeal. And so she's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to turn down your book proposal. And I was like, oh, and I was like, no, in my heart and soul, I know this book is meant to come out. And then I, I ended up meeting my now book proposal, um, book publisher. And I remember when we got on the phone, I was like, oh my gosh, this is my woman. This is a person I'm meant to be working with. She's like, oh my goodness, I need your book. It's going to have global appeal. I want to see it in bookshelves all over Australia, globally. And like, here we are, like my book is in like, even in America, like Barnes and Nobles, it's in like Dimmicks here in Australia. And even in the pre-orders, we hit like number one in Amazon in the categories for the book in the US market and in the Australian market, as well as in the UK market. So it's just crazy. But I think it's like a testament to like, if you're meant to do something, you know, always trust the process and the journey. Like. Um, I guess I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but I think about my life and it's like my dad dying on me was like the worst thing ever. But if I'm honest with you, I don't know if I'd be a life coach if he didn't die when I was so young, because that really put me on the path that I'm on. And even the pandemic, terrible thing, but led to me having my own business and my side hustle. And even a year ago this week, as we're kind of speaking in the middle of July, like I broke up with my partner of three years and now I'm like so happy, like I can't believe it. But I remember a year ago this week, I was absolutely heartbroken in so much agony and pain, questioning if I made the right decision. And I'm like, yeah, I absolutely did. That's insane that you got number one in pre-orders in so many different markets. 
and meeting those book publishers and people really chasing you for that. And also what you mentioned, it is sometimes in the lowest of lows that you get to the highest of highs. And also you can only really connect the docs looking backwards and not forwards. Um, I want to go back to writing the book because mm. so you had the idea yes, and, and people were chasing you, but writing a book actually takes a long time, a lot of discipline. Oh. Yeah. Can yes. you talk about that? And uh, Yes. I, I have to first flag of all, I'm not a conventional writer. Like I, like I'm a manifesting generator and the way that my energy operates is I can only do something when I'm in the mood. I, I'm not for discipline. I'm not for like rigid structure. It just doesn't work with my energy. And so like book publishers kind of be like, what? Like I remember, um, so I had time to write it and I think it was like, I think my book was due last, sep um, yes, my book was due last September and I didn't end up finishing it till October because I had the breakup. But previous before that, I think it was June or July and I still had only written 25% of the book. And that's because I realized for my book personally, I had a lot of life to live to write the book, but I'm somebody like when I'm in that flow zone, like I would spend like, I literally remember like writing from 8 p.m. till like 4 a.m. in the morning because I was just so inspired and in tune with that and I think a lot of it the process was refining like very much writing putting down dumping every all ideas that I had very much I'm like a very like right brain person I had to have a lot of post-it notes and drawings and I like move it all around and I think for me like yeah I, I'm very much like an intuitive writer as well I very much channel what was had to be said and so it was such a beautiful healing chaotic and triggering process because um, you know, even in the year and a half lead up to this book coming out, I was triggered by having to relive my trauma constantly because the book is full of my traumas and having to go through all the dramas and living it again, especially like in my early 20s, I just didn't have a lot of self-love. And when I would kind of reflect on the stories of the men that I dated, I was like, oh, this is so triggering. This is like, I can't believe I put myself in this position, you know? Wow, you've gone through so much and you shared so much through that. Can you talk about the blocks that you also encountered while you were writing the book? And did you ever think like, oh, this is too much? Like, and you kind of sabotage, like wanted to self-sabotage because we know that happens sometimes when we're producing our life's like best work and we're really pushing the boundaries. Yeah, I like procrastinated that? a lot. You know, and even like my book publisher, like it was getting to this point where I just kept editing it every time it came back. And at one point we both had to be like, okay, stop. Like we can't, perfect this like the book very much represents my life up until like my end of my 20s and it captures it is what it is and I had to also accept like I can't put my whole damn life story like it can't be contained in a book and the biggest block at first was a lot of the family stuff because actually I didn't tell my family I had the book deal I didn't want to tell them because I knew they'd be like don't write about me and all these things and even my ex-partner at first like don't write about me but as I explained my purpose and the mission and the intention of the book was to help people. And, you know, I had to really explain to my ex-partner, my family, like this book isn't about you. Like, sorry, no offense. This book is actually about me and my life. And you've played a big role in that. So, you know, part of one of the biggest things was in the acknowledgement saying like, this is my perspective of the story. No doubt my family members and my ex-partner will have a different perspective of the stories I share. I share. So I think that was really important. And, it was like I had to do my own personal development when I was triggered writing about something. I had to take a step back and really like pause and reflect on that. And writing is such an intricate process because at one point I even lost my voice. So I think the universe actually forced me to finish the book because I couldn't even coach like without my voice. 
And so that was also a moment. And I was like, oh, I never want to take my voice for granted because it's one thing to choose not to speak up, but when you actually cannot speak, that was a really scary moment for me where I was like, oh my gosh, like what if my voice never comes back? Yeah, that's crazy how the universe like literally helped you by taking away something from you so you could finish the book. And with your book now, like um, can you, do you just tell us like how did you promote it and how did it get to such um, great pre-orders and like where it's now? I heard you also have an audiobook. Yeah, I have an audiobook as well. But to be honest with you, I have no idea. Like I really just trusted that the, you know, I, you know, I talked to my team. I knew they wanted me to write a book. And then once I did, I was like, my job is done. I need your support in helping me. So I haven't really done much apart from podcasts and sharing my work on Instagram. And I think maybe it's to do with my profile in human design. I have a full profile line, which is all about networks, um, connections opportunities so I think it's just really been pure word of mouth which I'm very grateful for like I think again I run a very unconventional business where I like book out months in advance and I don't have any sort of advertising just because of when people work with me they usually recommend me to their friends and family which is like the greatest honor ever that's insane so I want to transition into that so let's first start off with what is human design for people who don't know yeah. So human design, you can think about it as a guide, a blueprint, a map to your soul. And it kind of really answers a lot of things about why you are the way you are. I don't really necessarily think it's a strict rule book. I kind of say it's an experimentation. So it's based on your human personality, which very much correlates with modern day astrology in the 12 houses. And then we've got your soul blueprint, which human design believes is created three months before you're born. And so it goes through all of your chart, like your energy type, how your energy flows, how you make the best decisions and very much the main life things that you'll um, kind of encounter in your life and your sole purpose. So it's always if you've just wanted to know more about yourself, to validate yourself, to really answer the big questions. And for me, human design is a system, but I'm self-taught. So I'm an intuitive reader. So that adds a different element because I also like to communicate with people on the other side to kind of um, get their perspectives and what to share with somebody in a reading as well. So I think that's the most concise way to sum it up. And I think it kind of starts with all the different types. You've got generators, manifesting generators, reflectors, manifestors, projectors, but human design, there's over 2 million different combinations. So you and I might be manifesting generators, but how our life comes to, there's just so many layers, right? You've got your personality, you've got your energy centers, you've got your life energies, you've got your placements, you've got your transit. So it's just so rich. Like I literally coach people for like years on human design. Yeah, um, it's insane because you mentioned that we're both manifesting generators and if the audience doesn't know, that's how Fee and I met, actually got recommended. Fee and I met her through actually doing a session with her and I totally recommend her. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, yes, I wanted to ask, um, how did you choose to really focus and hone in on human design as like your main tool of being a life coach and why that did you explore other tools as well? Yeah, I mean, I started out in NLP, then I kind of just dropped everything because I was like a mindset coach. And I was like, oh, should I be a relationship coach? And I was like, no, nah, I'm just gonna be a life coach. Because now I like to talk about everything and I do business as well. And again, it's very true to my human design personality, because I'm like a two four. So that two profile line is very much what we call the um, hidden genius or the hermit. And so I actually just kind of one day stumbled upon human design. And I remember when I first saw human design, I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. This is stupid forgot about it. As the universe works, it comes back into my life a couple of years later. 
And I cannot explain it to you, but I looked at it. And I was like, everything makes sense. Like I just knew how to read the chart. I had never done anything. I was like, this is so strange. And I was like, okay, let me experiment. So with my existing clients, I started doing human design readings. And one of my clients, she goes, um, you know what? I think you're really good at this. Like, I really think, and she was the same client that actually said to me, you're a really good writer. She's like, you need like your posts on Instagram are great, but you need to shift the way that you think. I think you need to do more of your writing and you need to do more human design. And I was like, oh, this client is, we work very closely. She knows me. She sees me so clearly. So I was like, okay, like being a hidden genius, like the human design tool kind of says to you, pay attention to what people say you're good at. And so I started doing it and literally it just blew up. My writing blew up, led to a book deal, human design. I'm like booked out months in advance. And it was all thanks to this one person that saw my talent when I couldn't see it myself, because I think we're always so scared. We have to have certification. We need to um, prove ourselves. But I think my biggest journey is like, I don't need a piece of paper to tell people that I'm good at coaching or I'm good at human design. The results speak for themselves. Yeah, you're such a powerful manifester. I feel like everything that you touch literally turns into gold. <laughs> so can you tell us about your first client? And you said it was like not human design. No, it might like, so I remember two of my very first clients. So one of my first clients, like I remember it was like a free call. And I, I you know, I remember practicing the day before with my best friend. I was like, can you help me run a coaching call? Because again, I'm not like a certified life coach. Like I didn't go to school. I'm very much self-taught. And then we did it and we had, I had that first call with that client. And then, yeah, like she ended up starting a business and like selling out her e-commerce product. And I was like, whoa, like this was all from one session, which was incredible. And actually like when she saw me go full-time, she reached out and she's like, did you know that whole time, like I was going through like domestic violence, but you were like that light that really helps me guide through it. And, oh, like, I think I cried so much when I got that message. I couldn't believe it. So she played a really beautiful part and, you know, when I first started coaching, I was quite embarrassed because I had 10,000 followers and I had no clients. And I was like, oh, like, what was I doing wrong? And I had to really build myself. And I still remember charging clients $30 for a session. It's obviously changed a lot since then, but I think I had to really build and work my way up. And I did really work hard and I did a lot of things. And now that I've established my audience and referrals, I, I don't have to necessarily push my coaching. I don't really advertise coaching. I kind of Every six months, I'll kind of post about it because a client will finish up. But I'm very fortunate that I have wait lists and people are kind of always on the scene wanting coaching. And yeah. I love that. Yeah, again, powerful, powerful manifester. Um, I know some of our audience listening, they might just be getting into their spiritual awakening and also thinking that they have some gifts that they want to share as well. And that might mean that they might want to start their own business. So when you yeah. said that at the very beginning you charge $30 and you were looking for yes. clients. What did yes. you find um, to be helpful? And what would you recommend to be helpful for those wanting to start? For me, it was confidence. And for me, it was listening about, because I had all these business coaches and they're like, oh, you're charging too little. Like you need to charge your worth. But I was like, my worth cannot ever be charged in terms of a monetary thing. And even as like my skill sets develop, like I don't want to be one of those coaches that charges like $50,000 to work with me. That's just not me. Like, if anything, I'm trying to work with as many people as possible now and keeping my prices in a, like a, a fair exchange is what I would say. And so for me, like I didn't take my ego into it. Like I was happy doing free coaching calls because they might not be paying me, but they're paying me with their time. And to me, time is the most important currency because money comes and goes, but it doesn't, I don't give a fuck if you're a billionaire. You cannot buy more time. 
You just cannot buy more time. So I was really stripping my ego of that, building my confidence. And as my confidence grew, yes, of course, I started to increase my prices and things like that. But I think at the beginning, it's just like this self-belief. And so very much understanding that, you know, build your confidence. And, you know, I think I may be biased, but working with a coach as well, because if someone is living the life that you want, they've taken the steps to build their business from the ground up. You can learn so much from that person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Really take on the confidence of your mentor. And what would you recommend as actual like tools? Like, do you recommend them posting on reels, starting with posts? Should they start with a brand new account? What would you recommend? I think it's just like, for me, I started my own business account that was solely based on that. And I think, again, I think there's no rules. I think people think algorithm and stuff, but for a long time, I wasn't doing reels. I actually am only doing reels now because I really genuinely love it and it sparks me up. But I did writing and I didn't even do a lot of like, I wasn't always giving out like free masterclasses. So I think it's like whatever platform makes you feel so juicy and lit up, that's the platform that you should use. Because I'm very much a firm believer when you're so good at, good at something, people will find out about you. And that's how I know my business works because I never advertise. I've never paid for advertising on human design or coaching. Yet I run a six-figure plus business. So I know that if you're good at what you do, people will find out. I kind of say, for example, you know that there's like that cafe in the middle of nowhere, but people will go there. They will line up because they know that cafe is really good. They don't have to be smack bang in the middle of Sydney CBD or New York CBD. If it's good, people will come to you. Mm, That's so true. So it's a lot organic. Can you talk about some of, oh, yes. Oh, sorry. I think something just dropped in that they wanted me to share was like, I always believed about over delivering as well. Like I never got resentful. Like I, I believed like, it's a good thing to over deliver and make people happy and not like busting your ass, right? Like you're burnt out, but it's like all those little tweaks. Like if it makes sound like, for example, if I'm in a coaching call and I need an extra 10 minutes, I will do it. I'm not going to be like strict, rigid, like, Oh, your time's up time to go. Like I just wanted to go above and beyond for my clients and really give them an exceptional experience working with me. And I think that's why you're so successful now. And I know you worked with some, yeah, I know you worked with some very, um, cool people, some influencers or celebrities, you want to share some of their names or I mean, just like how they got to know you, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I probably won't share their names because they want to be private, but I think what the thing is to know is that even celebrities and influencers need um, assistance and everybody, like it's like even the best athletes in the world have coaches. So, I mean, again, I don't know. A lot of them just came across my profile or they had had a friend do a reading, like maybe a friend, like because for me, I treat everybody the same, whether you're an influencer with like, you know, 100,000 followers or you have no influence or no following and you're just like a normal person, the the reading, the coaching I do is exactly the same. And so I think that's what's really important is I don't treat people any differently. And I think um, so a lot of like my clients that are maybe you would say they're like influencers or well-known, I may have done coaching or reading for a friend of theirs that I didn't know that their friend was somebody that was like established in their industry. And so I'm very fortunate that I've just had a lot of word of mouth because once somebody talks, like they'll talk and then you have those higher levels of clientele. Like I feel very fortunate to be able to work with now like seven figure business owners and like celebrities in their own industry, which is again, something I never thought would happen, but does. So, so, so cool. And I know you also have your own podcast go through it. Can you talk about, um, talk to us about what you talk about on there, what's coming up next yeah. on your podcast? 
Yeah, well, I'm excited because you're going to be on my podcast. And yeah, it's very much about growing through life, not just going through it. And it's very much built on those pillars of my coaching framework, which you mentioned, which was mindset, self-love, energy, and purpose. So yeah, I think it's very much about sharing. And as I come into this new season, sharing more guests and just everything, everything to do with like personal growth and my life and just things like chatting with your bestie about spiritual things. And yeah, it's just very exciting. I'm very happy to be doing the podcast again. I know. I love when you do the astrology ones too. I like love to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. I need to do one of those soon. Mm -hmm. So what's coming up next for you, both in your business and also like what's coming up with you personally in your summer? Yeah. You know what? All, all bets are off the table. I said to myself, the biggest goal was to launch this book. I've done it. And I'm like, I've handed it over to the universe. Like what's next for me? I think I'm more excited about business. Like maybe, maybe I'll be doing retreats. Maybe I'll be doing group coaching. Maybe I'll be writing another book. I think in my personal life, I'm very excited to call in the love of my life. Um, so that's very much in my interest. So, I mean, watch this space. Hopefully he'll be coming soon into my life. <laughs> I love it. So exciting. And I said summer, but I know it's winter in Australia because there's so much like sun shining through and it's summer here in New York City. So We're very lucky. This is why I love Australia. Like it's so beautiful. Like I still go to the beach in winter every day. <laughs> yeah. Insane. You live an amazing beach life. Okay, so we're wrapping up at the end and I have two final questions. Since you're on our podcast, Source of Truth, we talk about everyday topics with spirituality. I wanted to ask you, what is your own source of truth, whether that's internal or external, somewhere that gives you a lot of guidance and wisdom for life? My soul, hands down. Like as soon as you said that, my soul is the truth. Like and very much learning to tune in and tap into that. And very much, I think your intuition is very illogical. And like a lot of the moves I've made is illogical, like quitting a very stable, high paying, you know, corporate job where I was on track to be like the youngest group strategy manager, like 28 years old. Like I did all these crazy things, but I listened to my soul. And I even remember like in my book about my breakup, I wrote like I had to make a decision that broke my heart, but it healed my soul. And so my soul is what I listen to. I don't take external influence. Like, yeah, I think I realized I was talking to another client. She's like, don't you care what people think? And I was like, no, I've actually gone to this place where I just so inherently deeply trust my soul that nothing really shakes me on the outside world. That's so beautiful. And it's so freeing to yeah. listen to your soul and nothing else. And I can see that you're so authentic in who you are. Yeah. And I wasn't always this way. I used to be someone that cared a lot about what people thought. And I was always like, you know, the good girl. And I was like scared to speak my truth. But I think as I've you know, spoken my truth more and seen how much my life has changed, it's given me that confidence to trust in my soul. So if anyone's listening, it's like the baby steps first before the big leaps of faith. Yeah. I love that. So much embodiment. Okay. So final question. So let's say that you woke up the next day. So tomorrow, and you had forgotten who you were, what you did, anything, but you had a perfectly functioning, healthy body. You're still in the house that you live, the friends you have, but you actually forgot everything except for one thing, your source of truth, your one message that you can give that tomorrow self. So you, as you currently give one message to your tomorrow self that will create the rest of your life. What would that I feel like be? I'm going to go really deep and meta because when you said that, I was like, but that happens every lifetime. You wake up and you don't remember anything. 
So what I would tell myself is you already know everything. You've already done this many, many times. This isn't your first rodeo. This is just another time. So I would just be like, have the confidence that you're just going to do it again. You've done it many lifetimes before. I love that. We go back and we understand that our soul is infinite. Yeah, pretty much. Because like every lifetime you do forget in a way and every lifetime you're reawakening and remembering your true essence and coming back to your real you, which is your soul. So that's the advice I would give is just trust yourself. And I think also like you're not doing it alone. You have this incredibly huge team on the other side of angels, spirit guides, loved ones helping you. And you've got like the most motherfucking powerful force in the world, the universe on your side. So nothing, Mm -hmm. you know, everything is in its big grand um, plan and trusting in that as well. So powerful. Well, thank you so much, Fee. This was super, super solely insane, amazing. And please tell the listeners where to find your socials, anything that you want to share with them. The floor is yours. Yeah. Thank you. You can find me on Instagram at the Fee Dang, which is T H E P H I D A N G. I've also got a website, feedang.com. And my book is The Great Unlearning, which you can find worldwide, likely on Amazon and on audiobook now as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much.